Let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. I shall read it from verse 9 to 18. 9 to 18, right? 9 to the end of the chapter. Let's take heed to the Word of God, and after that we'll have a word of prayer. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He, that is God, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He, Jesus, who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of God's name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's a quote from actually Psalm 22. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered, and when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's go to God in prayer. Our God and our Heavenly Father, this morning as we come into Thy presence, we pray indeed for Your Spirit to lead us into worship. And more so at this point of time, that Your Spirit will guide us into the understanding of Your Word. And may Your words grip our lives. And most of all, we pray that even as this Word is brought to us by the weakness of human flesh. We ask, O Lord our God, that all of us may hear more than the voice of men, but your voice, that you will speak to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, August the 9th. August the 9th. Boys and girls, what do you remember about August the 9th? You? None of you can remember? <laughs> August the 9th. National Day. Yes, National Day. Thank God. Some of us remember. <laughs> and boys and girls, what do you think you remember most about our National Day? Is it the fly pass? Is it the military column? The fireworks? The goodie bag or the day of school? But do you think that's what the founders of our nation would like us to remember? Or is there more to all that they fought 
and risked their life for. And they did it twice. They did it twice. 1963, when they were part of Malaysia, and in 1965, and they did it with sacrifice, and did it with tears. Some of us, you remember, when LKY was declaring this to the nation, he was in tears. But sadly, when it comes to celebration, National Day celebration and so on, all the celebration can often sideline the core message of what our independence stood for. And likewise, it is with Christmas. There's more to Christmas than the gifts you received yesterday, the log cake that you ate, the Christmas tree, and the irrelevant Santa Claus. There is a core message in the Christmas story. Without this message anchoring our souls, we can easily drift away from our Christian faith in the stormy seas of our life. And it is indeed stormy for those of us who have been, been a Christian for years. And when we drift, Christmas can just be another holiday. And so more importantly, I think, verse 3 of this very same chapter that we read the text from, it warns us in verse 3 that how we receive this story determines our eternal destiny. It determines our eternal destiny. The Christmas story is really the first chapter in a war story. And our text in 14 and 15 refers to this great war with the words destroy and deliver. On one side is Jesus and God's children and on the other side the great adversary, the arch enemy, none other than the devil. And the great battle started way back and some of you will know that in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and I think uh, Elder Ari has done and gone through those uh, passages for us, uh, we saw there the devil taking on the form of a serpent or a snake that is uh, look alike. He took on the form of that creature and then he launched a surprise attack on Adam and Eve by urging them and deceiving them to rebel against God who is the creator and the benefactor. God had clearly warned Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2, verse 17. But our first parents disobeyed God and they took of the fruit and they ate it. The disobedience was as much an act of great wickedness as it was an act of great disobedience. It was also a great act of foolishness. They had all the good that they needed, but they wanted more. 
They wanted to be wise like God when they were already made in the image of God. Already made in the image of God. And so the devil, in all his craftiness and cunningness, exploited our first parents' weakness. And they fell into the devil's trap. With one swift blow, Adam and Eve were made to bow down before the devil. And they brought the entire human race and creation down with them. The horrifying damage was universal, worldwide. The effects of that one act of disobedience are moral, environmental, and spiritual. Nothing in the created world was left unharmed after what the Bible scholars will call this the great fall of man. And Paul sums up the, def the defeat in Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12. As Paul says, sin came into the world through one man. And the result is, death spread to all men because all sin. Every funeral is a testimony that Adam, who represented us there, lost the fight with the devil. Every funeral that you visit. And the worst was yet to come. With the fall, humankind became by nature slaves to sin and the devil. And you read that again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. They no more serve God, but serve the devil. They walk according to the devil's way. They conform their lives and action to the will and pleasure of the arch enemy. We have just to look around. Look at ourselves, the devilish mess that we ourselves are in. And Romans 3 again describes our fallen state. It says there, nobody is living right anymore. No. Not a single one. We have entirely lost our way. And in our darkness, we have all taken the wrong way. And we are trying to find our answers in the very wrong way. Each day of our life looks like we are competing for the honour of being the sinner of the year. We just don't know the first thing about living with others. And every place we go, we litter it with heartbreak and with ruin. And if it's that thought bad enough, look around us. Really, look around us. The world we live in is what Paul Tripp calls a broken-down house. And that's what we're in. Every single room has been dirtied by sin. And sin has left this world in a very sad in a very sorry state. You see it everywhere. In the environment, pollution and misuse. On social media, misinformation and lies. In entertainment, immorality. And the family, a place where we can look to for safety, has often become a source of life's greatest hurts. And on the world stage, 
instance after instance and we can still hear it ringing in our ears you see man's inhumanity against men whether it is religion whether it's because of our skin color because whether we are of different strata of society and if ever there was some shimmer of goodness it is only because god is restraining the evil that has infected us and the devil we are told in verse 15 of the passage that we have just read uses the fear of death as a rod to enslave sinful man and beat him into submission the fear of death paralyzes and the fear of death threatens the fear of death causes anxiety and it causes hopelessness and is this that is driving our world more and more into a great mess chaos the fallen race of adam became lifelong slaves under the control of the fear of death and the devil even if you don't realize it we are caught in its clutches and that's why you see sin is so rampant wickedness is so rampant and everything is in a disorder and chaos maybe slowly what is coming through but that's not all on the other hand god responded swiftly to this one act of disobedience in genesis chapter 313 it says it all our parents were what happened to them they were ejected from the garden of eden and then separated from the tree of life they died they died spiritually the relationship with god is disconnected this blessing of god severely disrupted man had sided with the evil one and man's rebellion therefore incurred the anger of the most holy god the sin aroused the wrath of god paul tells us that and paul also tells us that we became the enemies of god in the end men's rebellion brought upon them the anger of the holy god how sad it is so dear ones when you think of christmas just remember that the christmas story reminds us of a lost war where the defeated human race became enslaved to death and the prince of this world but thankfully also couched within the series of god's judgment at the garden of eden is god's declaration of war against the devil through the seed of the woman for the defeated human race who is now enslaved by the devil this promise is a burst of light in the midst of darkness and gloom But then again it was not after 400 years of preparation that the promise of the greatest story in human history was fulfilled 400 years or as 
Apostle Paul put it in Galatians in the fullness of time. The seed of the woman, the founder of our salvation, the founder of our salvation in verse 10 of the text, came into the world to battle with the devil as a man for man. The writer in verse 9 introduces this this humanity of Jesus by saying, for a little while, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. And this becoming man is what we call incarnation. The incarnation of the Son of God meant he was temporarily inferior to the, even to the angels. And again in verse 14, if you have your finger in the Bible, you read this, that Jesus took on flesh and blood, flesh and blood of his brothers and shared man's physical nature. Then again in verse 17, Jesus was made like his brothers in every aspect. The repetition in these verses is very clear. Jesus took upon himself the nature of a man. God became man. Why? Verse 16 explains that. So that he might help the children of Abraham, the offsprings of Abraham. That is man. That is you and I. Jesus entered the world in response to the desperate need of man. The desperate need of fallen man. It's a cry of help from fallen man for a second Adam to represent them. And this Adam would need to be a perfect man with the moral power to stand against the devil. There simply was no man good enough on earth to get man out of the terrible mess that he is in. We are dead. We are bound to hell and to destruction. We are hopelessly under the control of the devil. Yeah, you might not see his hands on you. It's invisible. But he are under the control of the evil one. So responding to the mess man has fallen into, God graciously sent his son into the world to fight his brother's war. So when you look into the stable in Bethlehem, all right, you need to see a man of war, a man of war, a warrior. Jesus' mission is clear, is to defeat the devil and free his brothers. He would defeat the devil in his life, he would defeat him on the cross, and he would defeat him by the empty tomb. Each victory is for us so that we may be able to resist the devil's attack. And that very battle that Jesus is fighting is right from the very start. The merciless devil was just waiting to throw everything he had onto Jesus to stop him from doing and carrying out his mission. And because the war was declared between the seed of the woman and the serpent, a face-to-face -face battle is 
just unavoidable. The baby in the manger will experience the full diabolical fury of the devil. The battle is fear, very fierce because the stakes are very high. The defeat of Jesus would spell man's doom. But the victory of Jesus would guarantee man's freedom. Actually, a more appropriate picture of the nativity scene will be a huge seven-headed dragon waiting next to the donkey and sheep to eat up the cute little baby Jesus. That's what it is. As soon as he appears, that dragon will pounce upon it. Somehow we are not used to the picture, right? When you ever see, wherever it's presented to us, it's all the calmness, silent night, holy night. Everything is very peaceful. But John, Apostle John has it very clear. He writes in Revelation 12, 4, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, she might devour it. Those of us who went to Revelation will remember this text. And brothers and sisters, that vision came to life. And we saw King Herod sought to kill the infant rival king as soon as he was born. Didn't it? If you know the, the gospel story, it started there. And then again, the gospel recounts for us how Jesus was engaged in this life and death battle with the prince of the world every step of the way to the cross. And Jesus had to, had to stand firm to resist blow by blow what Satan applied on him. And Matthew's gospel tells us that immediately after Jesus' baptism, he was led out into the desert where he was tempted by the devil. You remember that? He did it like he did it to Eve. And each of the three devilish temptations was to lure, to get Jesus to abandon his mission. Later, as he was establishing his ministry, Satan even used his own, Jesus' own family to try to dissuade him and even forcibly remove him from ministry because they thought he was out of his mind. Read that in Mark chapter 3, 21. And then at the very peak of his ministry, Peter publicly, the apostle Peter, the rock, he publicly rebuked Jesus for revealing that he must die on the cross. Strikingly, Jesus denounced Peter with the similar words which he used against Satan in the wilderness. Out of my sight, Satan. Out of my sight. And then next, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus repeatedly cast himself to the ground, sweating great bloods, drops of blood, and then crying out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See the distress and the suffering he was going through. 
And finally, on the cross, he was put to the ultimate temptation to get down from the cross. Amidst the pain, the torture, the excruciating nails that was into his hands. Thank God, Jesus didn't buckle. But fighting these temptations one by one, the temptation to abandon his mission actually brought great, great suffering to Christ's soul. And he bore it all as a man for man's sake. For our sake, he did it. So actually, when he came to earth, right from his birth, the man Jesus fought a perfect battle, but it was a bruising battle. He fought it against the devil, a battle that man himself can never have won. And then again, coming to the final stage of the battle at the cross at Calvary, the incarnation of Jesus is so fundamental to the Christian message. Jesus, the God Jesus, took on a body in order to suffer and die. In short, God became human in order to do what man could not do for himself. As a man, he obeyed the law of God perfectly. As a perfect man, he died in their place. Pause for a moment. Think with me. Take it in. God died. Can you grasp it? Just think of it. He took on a body so that he can die. So that he could suffer like a man. And this is brought out so beautifully in our text in verse 9 and 10. It says, Bringing many sons to glory was accomplished by Jesus only through suffering. That is through tasting of death. And for that, the writer of Hebrews called Jesus the founder of our salvation. The King James Version says the captain of our salvation, the author of our salvation, the champion of our salvation. And the goal and fruit of the salvation Jesus founded was defeating the devil and thereby bringing the power of death to an end. It reversed the terrible effects of man's fall. Death is the opposite of life and of the life of God's creation. Little wonder that those who are created to live always shudder at the prospect of death. Even as Christians, when we think of death, there is a certain kind of apprehension in, within us. But through the death of Jesus, he delivered all who are enslaved to the fear of death. It is, of course, not yet the case that the devil or death has already been destroyed. But Jesus has delivered a decisive blow to the devil and death. 
The full effects of Christ's victories are yet to be. But death itself has been done away in principle. Done away in principle. Death no longer holds any terror to the Christian. It should not. Its victory and its sting are gone. Again, Paul makes it very clear. Death can do no harm to those who name Christ as the Lord. For to die, Paul says, is gain. For to die is to be with Christ. And further, Jesus representing his brothers as the high priest made propitiation, or in other words, atonement for their sin. And that word propitiate means this. It is to put away, put away divine anger, put away the holy anger that God has upon sin. For God is a holy God. And he did that by presenting himself as the perfect, sinless, once and for all sacrifice for every sin of men. He obtained forgiveness for our sins. And so Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross sealed the victory over the devil, set his brothers free from the power of death and took away God's holy anger over man's sin. What an accomplishment. No wonder he is called the founder of our salvation. But as we said, the final battle is not over yet. Daily, you and I know that we still miserably struggle with the devil and the fear of death. We still live in a broken world. A world that doesn't function as God intended it to be. We still battle day by day with temptation outside of us and temptation inside us. And seductive voices greet us every day. Every day, at every corner, in your work, in your homes, in your schools. When you watch the television, when you watch the movies, every day, there are voices to pressure you to neglect the message of the gospel. And it's working to get us to rebel against God, to disregard His ways, to disobey His law. And let's not mistake it. Life on this side of eternity is still a war. The dragon, yes, has lost his bite, but he can still breathe out fire. Fire to intimidate us. Fire to threaten us. And one of the common attacks we have to fight is drifting away from the faith. And the Jewish Christians to whom Hebrews was written were under the pressure to conform and to return to Judaism. They were living in a close-knit traditional community, perhaps somewhere in Italy or in Rome. For them to become a Christian was to turn one's back on family's tradition and the community ties. They were very closely knit. And their newfound faith brought social discrimination 
They brought injustice and oppression even within and among themselves. And so it was easier for them to just let go and fall back to their Christless Judaism in order to be accepted again within the community. Today, today we face the same war. We face the same attacks. The devil is very smart, very crafty. He, he clothes it in all sorts of form. When under pressure from the world, and he does that, it's easier for us, isn't it, to go along with the flow. We might not reject Christ outright, but by neglecting the gospel, we are in fact ignoring Jesus to our destruction. We are living complacently in the grip of the devil, despite the fear of death suffered, suffocating us like a rope around our neck. Christmas, dear ones, is always an opportunity to embrace and re-embrace the birth of the second Adam, God's chief warrior who came to battle on our behalf, to win victory for us, so that blessed by his victory, we could resist, we could stand, we could conquer death and the devil daily until Jesus comes again. And here is where the first principles of the message of Christmas matters. There's no other salvation greater than that which is accomplished by Christ. There is no other way that stands close to the supremacy of Christ's salvation. This Christmas message must anchor our heart to Christ. For this message embodies what it means to be a Christian. And everything we value about our salvation. When push comes to shove, we must hold fast to the heart of this message. That the birth of God's chief warrior has won the victory that you and I could never have won. The victory is already accomplished. It's done. It's finished. We have got it. Our hope in this life and in the one to come is assured now. And so, if you're a Christian, if you remember this message, shout our freedom. Our freedom from the devil. Sing our freedom from the fear of death and cheer our freedom from the dominion of sin. That's how great it is. Think about it for a while. God died that you may have this freedom, a freedom that you can never gain it for yourself. So the battle is not over yet, but the Christian message is exhilarating when it anchors Jesus' victory to our heart. Don't get distracted with the gifts and the fun of Christmas. Let the world around us to commercialize everything of 
all the frills, but personalize the message of Christmas. Make it yours, not your parents, not your friends. And ask the Spirit of God to clean up the clutter in your heart. Everything that blocks out this message. And believe Jesus as the victorious founder of your salvation. You need Him. You need Him to overcome the devil and death. Then, dear congregation, then, friends, Christmas you celebrate is really joyous. For by grace you can confess earnestly that Jesus stood by you and won the battle for you. And you can daily battle confidently with temptation. For the victory is yours to claim. And you can stand, stand firm in your faith against all the pressures of the devil. The Christmas message is truly a victory celebration in a war with death and the devil because of the birth of Jesus, the founder of our salvation. And the Christmas message is for all, young and old. It's for all. And you cannot afford to neglect it. And if you hear it, don't let it go out the other year. Catch it, for we are in a battle, like it or not. No one is exempted from this battle. And remember, you can't win this battle by yourself. No amount of good works, discipline, whatever, get yourself, hide somewhere, whatever, from the world and all that. No amount of that kind of effort will win this battle. Jesus is the only way and the only founder of our salvation. And so let me just conclude with one liner. For all those who seek to be free from the devil's control and the power of death, the Christmas message is truly, truly wonderful when it anchors our soul to Christ, who is the captain of our salvation. Amen.